Hi, I'm Chris. I'm an addict, and welcome again to the Addiction and Recovery podcast. And this is now episode two, where we're talking with Daniel about his life experiences in and out of addiction and in remission of addiction, and also to talk about circumstances and environment that might have been the thing that activated his addiction. In fact, most likely. And so today we're going into the next episode, um, which is going to be walk out of the broken identity. So walking out of the broken identity. And it is once again fantastic that we got Daniel here, who's going to share about this particular part of his life and what it meant. So Daniel, thank you again. It's, it's really good to have you here and for you to continue telling us this incredible story of your life in and out of recovery. Chris, thank you for having me, man. It's an awesome privilege to be here, and um, I love the reason we're doing this. Um, people need a voice of hope. People need uh, a place of healing. People need to know that safe places to discuss real-life issues, especially in the world we live in today where everything goes and you <laughs> you can choose your gender. Nowadays, you can't talk about anything. I mean, I think there's more confusion out there um, than there ever has been and uh, we, we're just able to hopefully give people a true North Pointer. Oh, absolutely. And, and here you are, and you're prepared to literally pour it out onto the table as it is. And I think that uh, takes a lot of courage to do that. But wh- why do you feel you need to actually just say, okay, here is the truth? So, Chris, this has always been my story. Um, you know, f- from a very long time ago when I walked out of what I'm going to talk about today, um, I had made it my mission to to live a, a life of transparency um, and openness to help others. Um, my beautiful wife and, and my kids uh, know about my past and they also know about this incredible future that we're facing. And so I just think it's an important topic to talk about because it's not really about just the, the title of the, the topic today, but more about where does life go when you're broken um, and you find yourself connecting with people and um, sometimes in the name of acceptance, going down roads you never planned to go on. Absolutely. Yep. So, you know, let's just give a few examples. You know, you get people that uh, like rock music and they form a club and they listen to rock music together and there's a certain genre and there's a certain dress code. So there's all these little groups of acceptance. And so based on my story and what we discussed last time, being um, sexually abused by males uh, for years and years of my life and being teased um, and bullied at school, um, you know, heavy mental and physical abuse, I was called names, um, sissy boy, gay boy, homo, fag, um, all the things that that uh, you know other kids say to you. So, and, th- and this is very much what you're going to talk about coming out of your broken identity, which is everything you've just said, and then becoming the person who you believe you were meant to be, regardless of what other people thought. Absolutely. So it's an honest conversation today, um, and um, it's m- it's my story. So the nice thing about this is I'm not starting a war with anyone or dictating anyone else's decisions. It's my testimony. So. It's the, the journey I had to go on, and it's, it's got a great ending because of where my life is today and what I'm doing today and where I am today and what I'm helping other people face today. So, yeah, let's, let's talk about it, Chris. Okay, fantastic. Well, I think you've just done a very good opening on the whole, on the whole conversation that we're going to have today. 
Uh, and you talk about walking out of a broken identity. And so obviously, just tell us a little bit more about how that broken identity had affected you. So here's the thing. I hope there's other people listening out there that don't play rugby and uh, cricket and, and, and contact sports because we're not all cookie cut. You know, um, unfortunately, in my day, maybe the environment and the schools I was put in were prone to pushing sports and sports activities over and above uh, creative activities. So, I mean, um, still to this day, you know, I'll watch a rugby match if, if South Africa is playing because, you know, it's my, my country, but I have no idea what's happening on the field and why guys would want to get so banged up over a ball. But, you know, life happens. So I, I preferred skipping a break with the goals. I preferred playing marbles, um, I, guitar lessons, music lessons, um, doing woodwork with my hands. Uh, I tried karate once, got kicked out because I kicked a goal. That's a true story. So, <laughs> you know, that's, that's my journey. And just because I didn't fit the genre or the, the stereotype of the day, I was labeled. Stereotype of the day or stereotype of the world? Stereotype of the world, let's be honest. I mean, you know, I know who I am now, um, and uh, it's taken me 40 years to be okay with who I am and what I contribute and my individuality and difference in teams and to other people. I'm not trying to be like someone else anymore. But when you're a teenager, you really want to fit in. Um, you need to fit in. You desperately want to fit in. I mean, I, I played goalie. I never, ever stopped a ball. You know, I went and played left-wing rugby yeah, it just, I only went left wing because I could run faster than everyone else. You know what I mean? So yeah, all the things I did to try and fit in. Okay, so so let's talk about the acceptance part. So here I am. So let's talk about 16 years old. Um, I've had nothing but, you know, not fitting in till this point, feeling like there's something wrong with me. Um, have a massive struggle over my identity because of the sexual abuse. And, and the only thing I knew at this time in my life was sexual connotation with men. So what happens then? You know, uh, I didn't have another reference. You know, I, I have a reference of older men uh, crossing boundaries with me, then the, the cool boys. Did, did you think that all that was normal? Well, you know, Chris, define normal. You know, I mean, it's. I think, I think, to anyone who's been abused, you get to a place where there's a part of you becomes so the connotation that you almost feel, well, that's where your love is. I mean, be careful what I say now. Mm. Um, it's not that you enjoy the abuse, it's you know the abuse. So, so that's all I know. And so it's not so much about today, um, it's not about what you know, you know, it's about that's your only frame of reference is what you know. Now people are desperately trying to find out what um, a level of normal or truth looks like. But for everybody and their experience definitely paints a huge picture in this. All I know is this. 16 years old, I got invited out to a club one night, uh, a place called Champions in Johannesburg, and um, gay club. You know, And for the first time, through all the abuse, I walked into a place where I wasn't judged, uh, I wasn't criticized. In fact, I was marveled over. Somewhat. And here were these people uh, made a decision in their lives and, and it was a completely uh, almost a rush because I'm so used to this hardcore environment where I don't fit in and I'm not wanted. All of a sudden I walk into a space where I'm wanted all the time. Did and you think you'd arrived? So basically this is my 
Well, this is my, my ju- safe place. Well, this is my journey of where I felt accepted, mm. and yes, in this moment, it became my normal because there was no judgment. Okay, there was no criticism. Uh, there was infatuation, actually, you know. And so this whole secret world of abuse and everything I'd been through almost started to make sense. It almost started to be like, okay, well, everyone's saying I'm like this. Maybe this is what I am, you know. Um, and because and, and what was that? Well, because the boundaries had been crossed. I mean, I don't think sexual connotation with men was an issue for me because that's all I knew, you know. I didn't know anything else. Mm. And so I enjoyed um, the party. I enjoyed the infatuation. And like I said earlier, if, if you're a metalhead or whatever you want to call yourself, a punk, you go there because that's where you're accepted. You start to become somebody because that's the crowd that took you in and says, hey, man, I want to walk this through with you. So, so from being teased, not wanted in the room, um, not wanted in anything, really, um, and a secret life to this incredible where I'm almost put on a platform uh, on a pedestal in terms of people and this the specific group of people that I started walking with um, made me feel welcome and so yes in all that confusion and all that chaos I started to frequent that more and more and more and more and more and eventually that became my identity that was where I found myself that's where I believed I was meant to be all the things that had led up to this point was like, okay, and I found a lot of other broken people in that world, similar stories, um, similar personality types, um, you know, where the artistic and the the musical and the the soft and gentle, if I can call it that, without sounding pansy. But but that's a reality. Uh, you, you, you start to relate to those who have the same hurt and pain as you. And in those relationships, you get codependency because you start to help one another. And that's how gangs are formed. <laughs> that's how groups are formed. Yep. That's, that's how movements are formed. So let's just say that sexual abuse by other men pushed me into, the, into this world that I found myself. I mean, that's as basic as it is. Yeah, I get that. And I think most of us, and I speak about myself, is going into the big world and trying to find my identity. I had no idea what my identity was because, yes, sexual abuse, being brought up in a very controlling environment with my family, uh, my parents who loved me, but they thought this was the way to bring me up, uh, and I get that. And then we walk out into the big world pretty well unprepared for what is to come and how people can take advantage of our vulnerability, advantage of who we who we think we should be. But then we look for a group of people who are like-minded. And for me, my identity had to be related to, uh, I, I really wanted to be cool. I needed to be cool. I needed to have that image of, uh, I can't think of his name. Um, anyway, but the point is that at the end of the day, I looked for an identity, and I found it with a group of people who... Oh, Brian Ferry. Brian Ferry. I loved... That was my identity. Uh, he was sleazy. He, he looked bombed out, and he looked really cool. That was, that was where I was going. And so I was then drawn to people like that, who, in fact, were exactly like me, trying to find their identity through this. And for me, that is where... Um, I, I built up a, a, an extraordinary trust with people who were introducing me to some very dangerous drugs, which I thought was really cool, and I was part of it. And 
So my identity was then established on what I thought was the right thing. But in fact, it was a journey of a complete devastation for me that I didn't see coming. But again, related to loss of identity. So in this world uh, of uh, craziness, you know, uh, no addiction stands on its own. Uh, to any fellow recovering addict out there, there are clusters of addiction. Uh, when you start hitting drugs and the hardcore stuff, the sex addiction is insanely crazy. And um, the touchy-feely, you know, clubbing close to people, sweating, all that stuff, you know, it comes with this territory of, of, of what you're using. And so, you know, the painful moment for me, so someone in my family um, came out that, that they had been abused. Um, they exposed this one guy that used to visit us that was abusing me at the same time. This guy that abused us had made an accusation that I had helped abuse this other person, um, which was not the truth. And I was basically put on lie detector tests for four hours to prove to my own parents at the time that I had not been involved in hurting someone younger than me. So um, this was a crazy, crazy time for me, massive amounts of pain. So here I am coming out as a victim and instead of being consoled and taken into refuge, and this is why I say I hate religion, because there's no compassion. It's all about the facts and who's right and who's wrong. Um, and so here I am, a victim dealing with this victim who's also hurting, and I'm in the middle of being accused of doing something I didn't do. And I think a lot of my anxiety um, and depression and psychosis and all the things that I've had to walk through while I've walked out of this journey um, really came from. Because to have to prove to your own parents, and I love my mom and dad, was not, was not their intention to hurt me. Uh, I, it was their intention to get to the truth uh, and instead of us dealing with the perpetrator, he turned it around so it became a whole internal struggle for us, myself and my family. So be that as it may, I went to a a school function one night, a reunion. Just after this, it all happened. I'm 18 years old. I'm, I'm out of school and um, I'm in this place where I'm hanging in various clubs and still with with the guys and, and it's... It, it, you know, just getting deeper into to the world that I submerged myself into. So I go to a function one night, and I mean, I hung out at school with with the guys who were teased. So you talk about the club of lonelies. We were the one under the tree during break, protecting each other's backs, sharing each other's lunch. I was in choir. The other one, you know, had a funny voice, and uh, you know what I'm saying. So this kind of a nerd group. That they call nerds, which are not nerds. So if my friends are listening, I love you. You're not nerds. But so I go to this 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 reunion and I decide, well, I'm gonna tell my friends that I'm I'm deciding that I'm gonna walk uh, uh, the lifestyle that I'm I'm in now. Uh, I'm I'm going to accept the fact that uh, my life entails being with men and, and and let's see how that goes. So I'm at this function and I tell them and I get rejected by those who got rejected. <laughs> okay, so one of the sessions just now is about you know overcoming rejection. So now uh, I was in a really bad space, and uh, I picked up a friend of mine, went to a club called Stardust, and uh, proceeded to to you know use alcohol, copious amounts of alcohol and drugs. And and that night I found somebody. Somebody found me, uh, and this person worshipped the ground I walked on, and I started a seven-year relationship. Um, I don't want to mention his name because I don't think it's right. 
Um, and so I accepted my normal. I said to myself, well, all this has led up to this point in my life. I found someone who was infatuated with me, who didn't care about um, the defects and the personality issues and all of that. And so I, I went for it. But I want to speak about the pain of that life. And in a lot of debating today, because this is a subject you're not even allowed to talk about. Let so alone. is this your walking into a broken identity? This is walking into a broken identity. This is me saying, well, I'm done fighting this battle. I mean, I've been accused, you know, uh, of, of doing things I didn't do. And so I just said to my parents, well, I'm walking this road um, to everyone around me. Um, and, and I met a person and a personality, and I believed that I had found love in that twisted form of the sense. And so I started a very long-term relationship. And um, the whole world is painful because, you know, as you, as you start going against what you, you should presume to be normal, coming out of a religious background, and I know all the scripture verses on this topic and how um, God would feel about it. But when you're doing things over people in a religious form and fashion, and I want to say this to anyone who's listening today, that there is a love for a person and there is a dislike to all of us have fallen nature and things that we do. And so I accepted this as my normal, but I can tell you now my life was no picnic. Uh, it was a life of chaos. It was a life of massive amounts of drug use. It was a life of betrayal because um, I didn't find in that world that anybody was loyal to one another. Um, it became the world of, of acceptance, but the, a massive world of pain for me. And so um, anyone who's in that world could relate or not relate. And like I said, I'm not starting a debate today, so don't phone me and get on my case. I'm not telling you what to do with your life. Quite honestly, there's five ways of, of addressing this topic today, but this is my story. So for me, I didn't feel it was normal. For me, I knew something was out of place. I knew that this knot in my stomach and this, um, this, this constant need to use, and where does it end? I mean, you know, overdosing over and over again, uh, in and out of hospitals, in, a, in and out of rehabs. I've spent a good three years of my life in rehab. I'm 42. I don't want to spend another day there. Um, and so that will just opened up just just this insane amount of these clusters of addiction. So never enough brandy, never enough cocaine, never enough sex, never enough um, you know variety in in the whole space. Um, this person are very close, were very close, and uh, I had an encounter. So we're talking about walking out of the broken identity. I had an encounter where I walked into a church one Sunday, and I believe I found Christ in uh, his entirety as a person. So I fell in love with truth. So we all big on truth. Uh, what is your truth? It's not for me to dictate what your truth is, but I found mine. And so I finally found truth. I walked into a church, uh, a young lady got up to give her testimony about being in Zimbabwe, and I had an encounter where I uh, felt that if I put aside the life I was living and I started walking a different way, I was going to marry this person, have children with him. Now, that concept for me at that time in my life was taboo, like impossible, all right? But I had an encounter with my higher power. I walked into an authenticity that I'd never seen before. It wasn't religion and rules. It was relationship. And um, I decided to give relationship a try. And 
it it was so powerful. The impact was so powerful on that day and 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 on this moment that I had that I was able to walk home uh, after the service. And let me tell you, I got to that service hanging because I was on my way to ESP. I didn't want to get into it. I was still drunk from the night before. But I had an encounter, and I was able to actually go home that afternoon and break up a seven-year relationship. I didn't break up the seven-year relationship because I now found uh, a wife, and it just changed overnight. No, I went because I found an authentic truth that I needed to follow. And so it was a very bitter breakup. Um, there was no reason I could give except that I just had a conviction that I needed to change my life. And that would have been in its entirety. And I needed to walk away from this person because as incredible as it was, it was toxic and it was damaging. And the life I was living was, was you know, going to end um, shortly. Just be the amounts of drug use and the suicidal thoughts and the um, psychosis and the jealousy and the anger and the bitterness and all the things that went with it. So I had an encounter with truth and... I fell in love with truth more than any identity. And I've tried from that day, uh, that's 2014, I've tried from that day to to walk towards truth. And even in our journey, Chris, and why we're sitting here is because I believe that I found that. Yeah. And so I'm no longer in that identity. I haven't been for many years. I have a beautiful wife of 16 years. Um, that's another whole story on its own. And I have four amazing as kids. As it is for all of us. As it is for all of us. I have four amazing kids, and I'm happy with myself. It's taken 40 years. But I, I find that, you know, this is, this is the thing is, is having an encounter and trying to explain encounters with whatever you might believe. Uh, a lot of people think you need to be struck down or whatever else, or whether it's just something that just happens at one given point that suddenly gives you the ability to see the truth. And the point is when we're in, in addiction, our denial is so powerful that it doesn't allow the truth in. But what I wanted to ask you is that you being able to, uh, through an encounter like this, suddenly see the truth to the level that you believe that you were living a lie in your present, in, in that identity then. Uh, and that encounter had opened your eyes to your true identity in what you now live. Uh, to me, that, that's an incredible thing. That's... that's uh, a miracle, if one wants to call it that. But obviously this truth element, that to me, from having been in that world and being uh, having a partner for seven years, to have something that was so powerful that in a moment it opened your eyes. I mean, that to me is just extraordinary. And, and with that, do you, did you battle with your old identity to fulfill where you believe that you're meant to be in this identity? I want to jump to a, a moment quickly to answer that question for you. So 16 years old, um, one of the head boys, whatever, um, that all the abuse and stuff was going on had rejected me quite extensively in terms of not wanting to see me again and uh, had taken away a lot of my innocence. and. I, I tried to take my life. That was the first time. And I had overdosed on everything in the house. I'd slit my wrists open, um, blood gushing everywhere. My father and my brother found me and uh, raced me to hospital. My arm was stitched up and my stomach was pumped. And um, I woke up the next day and I said, God, you must have a reason for my life. So in between all this abuse, I did know of God. 
I did know of my higher power because even though I was in a religious environment, I did hear his name. I did understand that he existed. And I wrote a letter, and I still have it. My father typed it out for me. It's actually in a file. And I wrote a letter to God saying, if I had to have a normal life, I would like to be healed. You're the potter, I'm the clay. I would love a wife, children, and a white picket fence. And I'll show you photos of where I live today. I have that. And so... 16 years old, after a near-death experience, I just wrote down a prayer, and that's how powerful a prayer is that you send into the universe that my higher power found. If I use NA language, because I'm not trying to put anyone off here, but I did write this letter, and I did cry out in the time of my worst pain. And so when the day came and truth hit me, it was easy. And when I say it was easy, it was easy for me to take the step, but I cried um, walk into a house, break up with someone you've been with for seven years without a good enough reason, you're both crying. Okay, seven years is a long time. I mean, he's looking at me going, well, well I don't understand. I said, well, I don't understand either. You know, but this is over. And um, take whatever you like. And, 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 and so they did. But I needed to pursue what I encountered. And I'm so glad I did because it's the reason I can help others today. I'm not ashamed to talk about my past because it doesn't define me. Um, I believe everything I walked into was because I was abused into that situation. And so it's not like I woke up in the morning and went, well, I was born this way. No, I wasn't. I was um, abused into into an abusive life. And so that's my journey and it's, it's my story and I'm glad I was able to to tell you and share it with you today. But yes, it, it was amazing to to walk with a higher power, have an encounter with Jesus Christ who not only saved me, redeemed me, uh, forgave me of my sins, but gave me the prayer I wrote in a time of my life where I should have died. I shouldn't have woken up in that hospital, but I did. And here I am today living his dream for me that was written on a piece of paper. Daniel, thank you. I mean, the one thing that uh, I think amounts to a lot of the thing of this whole chat of walking out of a broken identity where you said abused into abused life. And I think that really sums it up. Um, and I, I mean, the point is this to me is where the circumstances of life, other people's will over us, is absolutely uh, apparent in the outcome of who we believe we should be or are until we are given this truth. And when we're given the truth, it can be quite scary because you're not sure if you're going to be liked or if you're going to be the person who you think you should be. But that's where the surrender comes in. And the truth then can be revealed and it will set you free. And I just think that's amazing what you have just spoken about, Daniel. I just, I just love your honesty as usual. And I'm going to really say to you thank you again for such an amazing, open and honest uh, share is that and I'm I just want to quickly sorry Chris I want to answer your second question so does the demons of the past haunt me um, to every recovering addict out there or, or someone who's being abused or um, struggling whatever in your life and there's so many forms of addiction I mean some people shop with money they don't have overspend on their credit card some people go sleep when it gets tough some people drink uh, yes Every door you open in your life, every struggle that you face is certainly the enemy. We have an enemy. As much as we have a higher power, we have a very lower power that doesn't like us mm. and wants to drag us into the worst part of ourselves. So the struggle uh, is not the struggle it used to be. 
uh, with healing comes the ability to see things for what they are, to put boundaries in place that protect you, and to say no to what you know is going to hurt you. Uh, when you've been abused, you believe you deserve abuse, and um, hurting people hurt people. So with that, you talk about healing. What are the key ingredients of that healing? What, what is it that allows you to be comfortable? On this issue that we're talking about today, there's one moment. So I told you that Jesus Christ is my higher power. I'm not ashamed of him or that at all. There's a moment where before his crucifixion, he is dragged in front of religious leaders. And I love this story. Uh, Jesus is my mentor. So let's just picture this now. I've spoken about religion that judged and criticized. And no one came to help me. I was just judged, chucked out. Okay. Well, you're now X, Y, Z. So here we go. Here's the king. So he's my king and here's his example. He's in front of a Sanhedrin. He is God and man. And he refuses to answer a question. And he is struck in the face. And not only is he struck in the face, they spat in his face. And not only did they spit in his face, they ripped his beard off. And, and um, in the story, it says that he was beyond recognition. And so the place that found healing for me in this broken identity was I realized he lost his identity in that moment so that I could find mine. Cool. So every single thing that happened in the crucifixion story, and um, it's out on every I mean, there's DVDs about it, I'm talking about my story today, is I realized that in that moment, he allowed them to do that, and there was a plan. Because if you're struggling out there today with any kind of broken identity, we be that depression, be that you don't believe you're good enough, you're fat. I mean, the enemy's got so many lies. I realized that that blood that flowed from his face was so that I could find healing. And, I, and now, I mean, forgiveness, that's another whole series. Mm. But going to the place where you remember who did what, who abused you, who said what, and, and remembering that Christ in that moment paid for your brokenness. And he was beyond recognition. That's what it says. And so every time I think there's a lie that can dominate me, I take it to that place and say, but that's Fantastic, been paid for. Yep. Uh, that's been done. And I, I think that's an amazing way of explaining it. I really do. Uh, with or without religion, but predominantly with your faith. And I think that's the key element in your personal relationship. And I just think that's wonderful, which really leads us on to the next uh, episode, which is uh, facing and letting go of the past. And I mean, that's really to hear you talk about that and how you've been able to conquer that part of your life that you've now talked about to freeing the person you are today. Daniel, thank you very much. Chris. Okay, everybody. So that's it for this uh, this podcast. Uh, it's been the most amazingly eye-opening uh, story for me and one I identify with actually in a lot of cases. And I just love and I'm blown away by hearing honesty and truth. And so until the next episode, remember, keep it clean and stay safe. Episode 4, Overcoming Financial Lack and Poverty. And I'm really interested to hear what you've got to say because this is really all about money and addiction. And my addiction had taken me to complete financial lack. In fact, I had nothing. And if I call it poverty, yeah, it was my poverty. I can't say that I was in poverty as the word poverty shows in the world today. But I did end up in all-night cinemas with all the other homeless people and tramps. 
just to be amongst people I, I thought would be okay to hang around with. But uh, at the end of the day, that's where I ended up in, in my journey of poverty. So Daniel, thank you again. And just let you take it over here and tell us about your overcoming financial lack of poverty. Thanks, Chris. Uh, awesome to be here again. And I uh, really appreciate the always the opportunity to share um, hoping that our stories and, and what we discuss will help others. So yeah, I want to cover money from three angles today. Number one of the growing up without it, um, the things that you start to do. You see, a lot of our addiction is uh, linked to our integrity. It's linked to our values. It's linked to what we do and we don't. Um, and uh, my story is um, my dad worked really hard. He was a door-to-door salesman. Um, he really did his level best, but we never had stabilities in income coming into the house. My mom worked a full-time job. Um, and that pressure, um, those fights in the house on the lack of money and not knowing where the next meal's coming from, knowing that our school fees weren't paid, you start to get the shame of that, not being able to buy the sports shoes that you need to to go on the field. Um, not a dishonoring to my parents at all, who both worked extremely hard. It's just that that's, that's what our life was out. What does lack of finance do um, in a home when you're a child? It teaches you to grow up a lot faster than you should. Um, I remember a neighbor that I admired down the road when we lived in Kensington. Um, they used to get pocket money, and it was a rich family. Gave me a racer, um, a bicycle, when they got new ones. And... Um, my tubes popped, and I didn't have the money to replace that, so I, I put I put hose pipe in there. And so, you know, learning innovative solutions in the midst of lack, um, you know, uh, not having cons- consistency in terms of food in the house, the church would drop off packages, um, and so grateful for all the help that came along the way. But I think finances play a massive role in our drive and uh, what we will and won't do basically when we – when we do eventually leave home and and what needs to happen. So my brother and I decided that we would not live a life of poverty. We would not um, um, be like what we grew up um, and the surroundings of that. And so I think a lot of my addiction, once you start crossing boundaries, and, and when I talk about crossing boundaries, you'll do anything to change your situation. Um, I think a lot of recovering addicts can relate to what I'm saying. Uh, the lines you begin to cross. So it's like, how am I going to never, ever go through this again? How am I going to make as much money as possible? And nobody talks about money. Nobody talks about the dangers of it. I mean, never mind the lack of it. If you've got too much of it and you've got an addictive personality, you're in trouble too. So it's how much emphasis you put on it. Um, in other words, when is enough enough? When is enough enough? You know, Um yeah, so, so growing up without it um, and the anxiety of that, I'll never forget just the constant anxiety, um, the not knowing, you know, the basics, um, being able to put the basics in place in terms of just we always had a roof over our head and, yes, the food was there, but there wasn't the things for, for school. There, there wasn't, um, you know, the surplus to do anything. So, so coming out of that, and, and I want to talk about what drives you. And so what drove us was not the right motivator. And so my brother and I started a business. I was 20 years old. He was seven years older than me. And um, we wanted to grow it as fast as possible. And we, we, we were very successful very quickly. Within three years, we were doing crazy amounts of turnover. And so back to this systemic 
addiction that was in place. Now you start getting the resources that can feed it. Um, and back in our day, you know, cocaine being a rich man's drug, if you want to call it that, find ourselves hanging in circles where um, drugs were made to look romantic, okay, romanticizing about the drug you use. Um, and back in our day when we started using it was, you know, it's you only better. It's this only better. And you find a superpower for a very short period of time um, and you start going into meetings intoxicated, you start doing deals intoxicated. Um, so you, your, your, drug your, your drug became your, your higher power, so to speak. Your drug becomes your higher power. And, um, in, in active addiction. In active addiction. And so the poverty part of it is really your mindset. Um, I really want to talk about a poverty mindset mm. because, you know, there's so many teachings on being rich, being this, being that. You know, none of that actually matters in life. Um, but being a business guy and just talking out of that context now is, yes, we've, we've had massive successes. We've had massive losses. But how do you manage the money side of things? Because there's only two references ever made that you can serve money. Money is a master. And we're talking about a higher power. And you've just mentioned it, Chris. And there's always going to be a fight between your higher power and money. And that is whether you have a lot of money and people want it from you or you have no money and you're living in regret, and the decisions of your addiction, and the money that was wasted, and the the damage that was done, you know, all of those things too are in the past. So how do we get to that place where we find this thing of contentment, and um, just being healed in the space where I am now, and, and having a few businesses, and very grateful for that, very grateful for the gifting on my life to be able to be a business owner, and have people work for me, and have all those responsibilities. But I can tell you that there was a time of great success and it was the time I lost my brother is when we were making our most money. Um, and just the, the incestuous need for more. Um, it can be such an addiction because it gives you a false power. Um, it, it gives you a sense of entitlement. And really the people that got hurt on that journey because you start to make money at people's expense and you start to, you know, you don't care anymore. The, the lines are, are blurred. It's all about the money. It's all about how much of this and that. And, I mean, quite honestly, and in and the greatest honor towards my brother is he had enough money to kill himself. That's the reality. He, yeah. You know, the finance was there to, to buy enough drugs to overdose. And, and so to families that are sitting in a situation where either they have money and it's, there's resources available and kids are going off the rails, drugs are involved, I really see the world of money and, and addiction going hand in hand. And then in the business world, the guys... I'm just, I'm just going to draw to you that yeah. because that's a very yeah. important thing, which I know in my business, when I ran my business, how my behavior uh, became very driven by the amount of money that we were, we were winning or losing, you know, or using or whatever else. Uh, even though I was, I was in remission of my addiction, it was amazing how the behavior moved over to, to my business. Uh, my moods were uh, were dependent on how the business was running, which it was like my old days. It was dependent on what drug I was able to to get, and with that, the behaviour became very apparent for me uh, when we were pitching for a job and how I would behave when we won it, and how I would behave when we didn't get it. And if we won it, it was like having your first hit of whatever drug or alcohol you were taking. Just say, wow, yeah, it was relief and everything was great uh, because we'd won the job. But it's also how we behave when we didn't get the job. 
that we went through into a withdrawal uh, in exactly the same way that our, our behavior then became in the way that we'd won or lost the job. And to me, that to me was my addiction working me through my work and my behavior changed. The person I became was somebody I didn't really like because I would bend the rules uh, because it was all about money. I would uh, have relationships with people in business because they had what I wanted from them. There was no real honest friendship or relationship. Their relationship to me was what can I get them to buy for my, from my company and my business. And to me, that is the one thing that got me more than anything else was this fake relationships and my behavior being run by how the company did or didn't do. And to me, that is clearly where my addiction disease still is active. But I'm not in where I am now. I'm not using chemicals or anything to, to make me feel better. Um, so, yeah, it, it's an interesting thing how you talked about that just now. So, so here's the thing. Being in business and hanging around with successful people, I see a whole lot of guys, and, and can't mention names, that I know quite well that actually need rehab. They actually need the 12-step program, but money masks um, addiction. You can buy yourself out of anything. You can, um, you know, bypass the processes. You can, um, you know, buy your family gifts when you've, be, when you've gone off the rails. And so that's the world that we lived in, you know, um, have, a, have a very bad uh, relapse and then take the family to Dubai on holiday, you know. So, so again, I'm not trying to have a dig at anything today. I'm just saying that money and the way you handle money is going to be a huge part of your healing because… Is this part of your own experience? This is part of my own experience. So and this is your story? Yeah, so this is my story. So, so healing from having, I mean, my brother and I were doing crazy amounts of turnover, Hundreds of millions of rands, um, you know, getting the wrong people involved. You see, you carry that addictive behavior through everything. Um, then getting hurt in the relationships, then going and eventually, you know, going off on my own enough. I've got a great uh, business now and businesses in the group and great people that work for me. But what governs and helps me now to make sure that I don't have access to abuse money? Because money in itself is not evil. Um, you know, the love of it, if you're worshipping it and you're chasing it and, and that's the goal, that in itself is evil. And so, uh, you know, also the, the dealing with the losses of it. So getting into debt, you know, when you're, on, when, you, when you're using drugs, you can go buy a car and sign a 60-month contract in a moment of hype, okay, and then wake up the next morning and realize you've made a five-year commitment. So addictive behavior in the areas of money is when you're having your highs and your lows, because that's what they are, and you've mentioned it now to be a drug, is not to make long-term decisions for short-term pleasure. Isn't that what addiction is really all about? And so, yeah, I've had to learn that through having a very a bad debt book. You know, debts that I went and made that I was like, come on. You know, putting yourself out for years for a moment's pleasure, mm. okay? Um, yeah, but that's the insanity, isn't it? That's the insanity of it all. And all I know from my story is, um, you know, uh, at the age of 22, I was driving around in a 330 CR Cabriolet. We were making money. We didn't care how we made the money, you know, whether you buy it or keep it or strain it or wherever it came from on the backs of whoever it came from. 
and um, just that image that you're trying to uphold the whole time. And I think that's what I want to just get to in this podcast is do you are you defined by your financial status? You know, some people think they're in poverty. They, they're not near poverty. And why I spoke about it just now as a mindset. Just like a drug is never enough, how much money is enough? How much success is enough? You know, is big success or is healthy and small success? What, is, what does success actually look like? And if you are a recovering addict, if you're in the space of business in the world, you've got people you're responsible for. I have had to put mountains of boundaries around myself so that I stay healthy for the people that I've been given responsibility over. And that is a very real conversation. Maybe some people couldn't relate to it. They, you know, you've made debt, you've been an employee, or you're just trying to keep your head above water, or maybe you are responsible for people. And how are, are you, and, and money buys you out of anything, you know? I mean, I can talk about my, my, my BC days, 23 years old, getting arrested, for being over the influence, you know, and having the money in the boot to buy my way out of that situation, buy my way out of the consequences of addiction, the consequences of um, a lifestyle that's completely out of control. And so from my reference, and I hope it's, it's useful to some people today, but, you know, being an addict in recovery and, and being healthy in the space I am now, having such stringent financial processes in place where I don't have access to any money, uh, on my own because I can either be proud and tell everyone around me well it's got nothing to do with you you know um, I don't need help or I know what I'm doing or I need to say guys I've made mistakes in the past I don't want to repeat them uh, so how do I govern the people aspect in the business over money where they are the most important thing they're the most important resource in the business um, and having the focus on that all of the time and also finding this thing called contentment. I know that in the space of recovering addicts and everybody we work with, they're not content. We're not content, I speak for myself. Because you've had this high life, okay? Taking a drug puts you into a euphoria that is not natural. I, th I think that's important to just verify that because you know, you, you talk about how addiction takes you to a high life. Uh, but I know in a lot of cases, there are people who never experienced the life you've got and the high life. But in their element of high life, it can be very, very different. It's what is that high life that people are, are, are living under addiction? And then what is it that they have when they come out of addiction? What high life is that about? Um, I don't know if you just want to bring that into So, So context. yeah, I mean, I'm, please, I'm not, I'm not uh, shouting here as a rich man. Um, I, I mean, my rock bottom, uh, happened some time back where I got the wrong business partners involved and it all blew up and I basically lost everything. So I went from a high life to bankruptcy and I was in a um, basically a crack house dying. I uh, didn't want to live, just too much pressure. Every relationship around me was broken. So it, didn't, it didn't matter whether you were in the high life or the lowest part of your life, you were still... Uh, abusing drugs and not recognizing that that might have been the issue. Yeah, so whether it's too much or a lack, it's exactly the same demon you're fighting. It's the same vicious cycle, you know. You're using to, to numb the pain of not having enough and then you're scrambling making a plan and you, you're stealing from other people, your own parents. You know, there's that side of the addiction when you hit your rock bottom. 
So I think what I'm trying to get at is if you're successful, be careful you don't get there because it's quick. It's a quick jump. Okay, if we don't deal with the addiction, if we don't deal with the addictive behavior, the bad financial decisions happen, the the integrity drops out when we start compromising in the area of money, the addiction is out of control. And it's radically out of control. And and, and you brought that in actually in your period of recovery because you've said that you don't look after the money. Um, and you know, immediately I I'm saying, well, why don't you? Do you not trust yourself? So I don't trust my addiction. Uh, you know, we say Very we surrender. Good. Very good. You know, step one, I am powerless, okay, to this thing called addiction. I know my behavior in the past. And so it's a humbling thing. And I think that's what I'm trying to get to. Money breeds pride, okay? Whether you have a lot of it or a little bit of it, it's the one subject that when you go there, everybody in the room gets weird, all right? And money doesn't change you. Money enables you to be who you really are. And, and that's, that's the truth of the matter. So if you were always a, a bad person or an idiot, it's just going to make you a bigger one of those. Um, and, and realize that our lives... That's if you choose. I that's mean. if you choose. That's if you choose. So for me, I don't, trust, I don't trust the addiction that I've beaten. I don't trust that euphoria that in the moment, because what you said now now is so important... When we used to get big deals and celebrate, we've, we've positioned in our minds what celebration means. So when I think success, I think we're going out tonight, guys. We're going to go party. We're going to go celebrate. It's going to be champagne, roses. And you understand what I'm saying? So the way we've formulated celebration in our mind, it's always linked to going and using, actually. So, so you couldn't celebrate without it? couldn't celebrate without it and redefining what celebration means and I think what I'm trying to say today I'm not trying to put myself in a position or say I've got money I don't have money I'm saying money plays a big factor nobody wants to talk about it okay um, a lot of the, the the addicts that you and I are helping have to go and pay back money they stole to use because when you need your next fix you'll do anything to get it you'll lie to anyone steal from anyone beg borrow etc but then I also know that it's, it's just right. It's very interesting because people spend will find any way of finding the money to score, and yet when they get an opportunity of recovery, suddenly it's a bit more difficult to find the money. Uh, not not saying that it's I'm talking about rehabs that you charge for. People say, "Oh, I can't afford that," but yet we've been trying to afford the whole of our well addiction, active addiction life, finding that money to be able to to feed that addiction. Yet when it comes to recovery. It's, it's a different scenario. We, we, we find it difficult all of a sudden to find something that's going to change our lives. We're going to get buy into changing our lives or that we find a way of doing it with when we don't have money. How do I get out of this? But it takes effort on both sides to be able to do it, that you commit yourself that I'm, I'm going to find the funds to stop or I'm going to find in myself a way to stop that I don't use again financially positive or negative. Yeah, well, the reality is money, uh, drugs cost money. You know, uh, um, if any of you are getting drugs for free, it doesn't exist, you know, it costs money. Um, but the money that you're spending on drugs, you're stealing from, if you've got a family, um, you're taking food off your children's table, you're taking school clothes off their back, you're taking um, security away from your wife if you're married, whatever the situation, wife, husband. So having money, having no money, Addiction, I believe, and this is where the poverty element comes in. Addiction steals. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. 
okay? If you are using, if you don't want to stop using, you will, be, you will destroy everything around you, finances included, okay? So what I've seen from my own life is when my life has been out of control, when my higher power has been the addiction and, and the power I've had in finances to do it, my higher power made sure I lost those finances because that power is a dangerous power. You are buying your way out of everything and there's no integrity in that. Um, I love the saying, a man that stands for nothing falls for everything. And all I've seen, and that's all I'm trying to get to today, is um, a lot of guys don't want to join the program um, out of pride because they have finances. Just because you have money in the bank or don't have money in the bank doesn't make you non a non-recovering addict or a person without an issue. And today we deal with two massive issues, two legal drugs that everyone says, well, I buy it at the bottle store. I've seen alcohol destroy more families than anything else, and it's a legal drug. Okay, and that's where the deception comes in. And now we can smoke pot and get away with it. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I smoke pot, I'm very compass mentis in a meeting. Now you have voices that aren't there. So I'm just saying that the whole framework that the world has put in place for us is that almost celebration and addiction, legal addiction, is attributed to success. How are you going to change that? So for me, what is my alternative? I used to celebrate, but my celebration now looks different. Very different. Okay, that's good. And I mean, if you were to now just, you know, and I get that the celebration of success for me is, is very different because it's not basically about money so much anymore. Uh, it's, it's about reaching out to people and seeing their recovery or not, but seeing their recovery and willingness to change their lives. That's, that's my reward. That's my financial reward as apart from my counseling, which I have the privilege of being able to do. That's where I do see, uh, and hear people's lives change. Uh, but I'd, obviously, I'm a counsellor, so I charge for those. But the ones, funny enough, that I don't charge for are the ones I get most fulfilment out of, which is phenomenal. But if I was to ask you to sum up overcoming your financial lack and poverty, how would you put it in, in one sentence? So obviously, we're talking to an audience. Um, these podcasts are for fellow recovering addicts, families of, of such, and people that want to hear our stories. I mean, that's the bottom line. What I've seen... And most incredibly, every single time is that if you change your behavior, um, you make yourself accountable, you get on a program, the finances sort themselves out. I've seen it time and time again where guys come in absolute distress. They've made a big, huge mess of their lives. They've made a huge mess of their finances. And I have watched in the area of losing that pride, and that's what I'm talking about. Money comes with a sense of control, and I've got it all together. And when that has been ripped out from underneath you and you're willing to change your behavior, I have seen restoration every single time. The doors open up. And let me tell you, I would employ any recovered, recovering addict who's far along the line because they work harder than everyone else. There's an appreciation for life above everything else. The reason I tell my story, because the, the Bible says that the him who has been forgiven much loves much. I know how bad I was. I know how screwed up things were. I've lived in the season of using money in a negative sphere to hurt people, and now I'm trying to live in a season of using resources to help people. And that is the journey. How do I change? And every time I've seen the submission in those areas and being willing to talk about it, because a lot of guys come into the room, they do not want to talk about their money because it's linked to their identity. And really, it's the one thing we should be talking a lot about. 
because I've, people take their lives when it gets to that point, when the financial pressure's on, when it's all gone, you know, when the money's gone. Sure sings a song. Um, my wife and I have danced in the lounge a few times when we've lost everything because the reality is it can be here today and gone tomorrow. It can't be your security. And if you're using it in active addiction, you need to get team around you to help you stop. That's very good. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you again. Brilliant. And uh, I know that I've learned a lot from what you're saying. And it's an interesting subject, this, because sometimes addiction isn't seen in the context of money and success and the addiction of it. So, yeah, thank you, Daniel. I really appreciate it. So that's it for this uh, episode. And thank you again for all listening. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the next one, which is from destroying to rebuilding. Anyway, thank you. And remember, everybody, just stay safe, stay safe, and keep clean. <laughs>